Hello everyone, I'm Maria, a student of Greenwich University studying international relations and politics and I'm here with Gracia. Hello. And Francisca. Hello, nice to be here. Hello girls. Um, today we will speak about gender immigration. Um, this is a very relevant topic for us personally because we are all female migrants who came from different backgrounds for different reasons to the UK. Uh, so this topic is very close to us. Francisca, tell us your story. Hello, I'm Francisca. I'm also a student of Greenwich University. I studied sociology in my last year. For me, originally I came from Germany, so I'm a migrant myself. I came to the UK to take a year off after school and I was working as a live-in nanny for a year. So basically I was a domestic worker. In the end though, I decided to stay in the UK and study here. How about you, Gracia? Hello everybody, I am Grecia, I am originally from Mexico and I am also studying sociology at the University of Greenwich. I have been in the UK for the last seven years and my intention for coming to the UK was for both, studying and seek employment opportunities. I do not have an experience working as a domestic worker, but I have been working in the hospitality sector for many years. And even though the occupations or careers are different, I found that the conditions of, of working are quite similar. Therefore, I'm very pleased to discuss more in depth gender and migration, as this topic is very important to understand why migration happens and also understanding the position and experiences of migrant women like us working in their host country. So, Marie, could you please tell us a bit about why you are interested in discussing gender and migration? Yes, uh, this topic is really close to me as well because I'm a nanny, uh, um, so a domestic worker as well and I'm a migrant as well. Um, I was born and raised in Italy and I'm a daughter of migrant, uh, migrant parents as well from Senegal and they migrate to Italy. Uh, I move along um, uh, to the United States uh, to, um, and I lived there for two years and then I moved again in London and to study and work at the same time uh, three years ago. So yeah, this topic is basically my story. It is so interesting there are so many reasons of why people decide to migrate. Yeah, that's true, especially in the age of globalization, when the movement between countries is more possible and easier, migration has increased a lot. The concept of migration was once considered to be a carrier of innovation. This is because people who move to different countries bring their unique skills, knowledge and experiences with them, which can be beneficial for the local population. My brother, for instance, is an engineer and he's being sent to many different countries all around the world to work. Migration therefore encourages the sharing of ideas and can help to promote economic growth as well. Exactly. Migration happens from developing, usually from developing country to high income country for either work like your brother or for escaping persecution and war like refugees and asylum seekers. Study shows that um, in the last decades, more and more women are undertaking the decision to migrate and that, our, that women are now mi migrating not only to join male family members as dependent, but to take up jobs and become economic beings in the migration process. Um, women migrants are not just a natural consequences of the male migration, but women are taking the decision to migrate as an individual to become economic being in the migration process. 
I actually um, recently completed a report where I focused on feminization of migration and gender study on migration, which is a theory that opens this reflection of uh, migration where women migrants are becoming active actors in the migration process and not passive as it has been previously considered. I did focus on um, women refugees because um, this topic is most relevant today and because these theory are applicable also for women refugees. Um, a number of refugee um, uh, of women and girl, um, um, like a rising number of women and girls are undertaking alone this highly and unsafe um, uh, and unregulated journey to seek refuge in high-income countries. Uh, this has created what the media refers as, uh, quote-unquote, uh, the refugee crisis. Uh, women refugees are often considered as um, a vulnerable ca category, and because of that, um, they usually consider a passive actor of the migration process. But uh, what came out from my report is that um, women motives in choosing to undertake um, often dangerous journeys are related with their gender. Uh, for example, when um, just like, for example, just the decision to undertake the, this highly uh, um, risky and dangerous journey where people often lose their life is a gender decision. Uh, often uh, asylum seekers are escaping persecution and war, and it is in political instability scenario that women and girls suffer the most. Um, because of their gender, I, they are in high ri higher risk in, uh, of gender-based violence, such as rape, sexual, sex, sexual um, harassment, and physical assault. And this happens when they are still in their country of origin, often from supposed uh, agent of protection. Women and girls are facing discrimination, that are facing discrimination and security in their home country, might want to escape that toxic environment by migrating to a country where the level of gender inequality are low uh, than, their, than their, the one in their own country. Uh, once they are safely um, safely reach once they safely reach the destination country, which is not always guaranteed, um, because of uh, how um, unregulated and unsafe the um, the way they travel is, often many women's refugees are forced to live in bad humanitarian um, humanitarian situation and condition. Um, in the hosting country where unfortunately these women are still at the risk of gender-based violence in reception center or refugee facility, mostly because of how um, unregulated these places are. Uh, moreover, um, because of how these victims, um, I mean like uh, uh, the victim lack of knowledge of the local language and the fear of being deported back to their country of origin. Um, most of these violences are not being reported because of that. Uh, these facilities are often designed as more charitable than anything else, and this put limits on women seeking asylum, which forced them of being considered um, by the general criteria of migration as passive actors, which does not help with the future process of integration. On top of that, um, um, on top of their refugee status and their gender, 
women refugees are in disadvantage when it comes to migration and settlement in the hosting country because of the lack of knowledge of the local language, the lack of legal status, and um, that consequently limit their access uh, to reporting to justice as, and protection because of the fear of being deported. And if they have the courage to report these abuses, often their lack of knowledge or um, of the right, of their rights, or the lack of uh, knowledge of where or to whom to report these abuses might stop them. If these women decide to leave um, the, uh, the refugees for the CDC, they are in high risk of forced marriage, trafficking for sexual exploitation, or trafficking for labor exploitation for domestic work. Domestic work is a sector that employs largely women, and because this labor happens in private homes, they are in the, uh, the most unregulated sector of all, where often these women are victims of abuse and exploitation. Yes, I strongly agree with you, Marie. Nowadays, many women are immigrating not only to join male family members as dependents, but women are immigrating to take jobs and becoming more economically independent. I also agree that often many immigrant women working in their host country, especially those immigrant women working in domestic work, have experienced harassment, exploitation, underpaying, and many of the working conditions violate human rights laws. Yeah, that's true. There is an article in the Service Industry Journals by Williams from 2021 that states that 61.2% of employees actually have jobs in informal undeclared economies which is not reported to public authorities. That's quite a lot, isn't it? It surprised me. Yeah, it is very surprising. This also benefits employers who avoid paying tax or providing social security, such as sick and holiday pay for their employees. Well, I would like to refer this to American economist Michael Peary, who argued in 1979 in his influential book, Birds of Passage, that one of the predominant motivations of migratory movement is labor as there is a permanent power of demand for labor of both low-skilled labor and highly-skilled labor in modern capitalist economies. Also, Paro argued that modern capitalist countries have an unequal distribution of capital and resources that extends to the labor force, resulting in a dual segmented labor market structure. In other words, the dual or segmented labor market means that there are two different types of labor market the primary market and the second and the second market. The primary market consists of highly skilled labor, stable jobs with good income, permanent contracts, benefits and opportunities for progress. Whereas the second market consists of low skilled labor, low paid jobs and unstable jobs with fixed term contracts such as zero contractor hours and contracts that cannot be renewed. I would like to put as an example the UK, as it's one of the modern capitalist societies that has thousands of distinct occupations, particularly domestic occupations, as the UK attracts thousands of overseas domestic workers every year. According to the International Labour Organization 2020, approximately 23,000 overseas domestic workers visas were issued in the UK every year to workers accompanying their employers from abroad. And half of these overseas domestic workers visas were issued to workers from the Philippines and women. However, as we say, as we mentioned before, many domestic workers in the UK 
have experienced exploitation, underpaying, and abuse. Therefore, the dual semester labor market theory is relevant in the case of domestic workers in the UK, as many of them are in the secondary sector of labor, as their conditions of work are often low-paying, little job security, and no benefits such as annual leave, maternity leave, and pension, while the employers are typically wealthy and have access to high-paying jobs and access to the primary sector of labor. Yeah, this is amazing. Mm. So if we think um, even more about the dual labor market, some examples come to mind, such as the outsourcing of cleaners, which makes the cleaning industry an easy and lucrative entry to the labor market for migrants. According to Refslund in 2016, there is a study about Denmark, which speaks about the so-called Eastern Europe proletariat. This is because in Denmark, most cleaning staff migrated from Eastern Europe. So often migrant workers agree to work for lower wages, which natives would not agree to. Hence, employers prefer to choose migrants to fill these positions. So migrants come to the UK or Denmark in this instance, full of hope for a different life, a better life, jobs, so that they are willing to work for less to start with. Even maybe because they might not know any better it's almost like exploitation, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so surprising that working conditions in the UK are unequal, unfair, and unethical. Also, I feel like the COVID-19 pandemic made these working conditions even worse. A journalist, Corinne Friend from the Fuller Project, found that during the first part of the COVID-19 pandemic, many domestic workers were left without income and support and were often to rely on their employers or charity organizations for basic necessities. So journalist Carrie interviewed a number of Filipino workers who have been working as a domestic workers, including Mimi, not her real name, to protect her identity. But they discussed the impact of the COVID-19. Mimi shared her experience and said that she had been working full-time for a wealthy family in West London in order to do cleaning, shopping, washing, cooking meals, and caring for their family for a salary of only five pounds an hour which is way below the legal minimum wage in the UK. Also, as five pounds per hour was not enough to cover her expenses and economically support her three children, Mimi has to work extra hours as a cleaner in other houses. But the COVID-19 pandemic increased her already challenging circumstances, leaving her with more work, stress, financial insecurity, and exploitation. Thank you for sharing, Gracia. So another example that I briefly want to mention are the global care chains. Now, as we know, the political economy is dependent on care as it is essential for human existence. This is what Whitenen in 2014 states. According to Hochschild from 2000, originally the concept of global care chains is introduced as links between people worldwide based on paid and unpaid work in the care sector specifically. Drawing on research, which was conducted by Yates in 2004, these care chains can be within countries, for example, moving from rural to urban areas for work, but also internationally between poor, developing and rich countries. One of the reasons for the emergence of these chains is the basic inequality of access to material resources, like Yates states. Therefore, these chains will serve as evidence of global unequal development. However, 
Global care chains also face a lot of criticism and limitations. For instance, Reitinen says that this is a concept which is looked at too simplistic and makes no attempt to analyse the effect of the forces on the smaller scale or the lives of the individuals within a global care chain. Additionally, it manifests sexist tendencies due to the feminization of those working in the care sector. Additionally, it also fails to account for the nature of the state and country between the global care chain is established. So there's many lackings here, which yet to be explored more. Then, interestingly, there's another example by Walter from 2002, which is also mentioned in Yates. She states that in 1991, at least 25% of all Irish-born people lived outside of Ireland. That's one quarter of the whole population. Mm -hmm. There is a high concentration of Irish women in the care sector. So Yates suggests that this is due to the dominant role of the Catholic Church in Ireland. So then, based on religion and the, the morals of the Catholic Church and ideologies that come with it, there's a high value based on women's roles within families and caregiving. Nursing even enjoys a very high social status in Ireland itself. This example exposes the limitations and critics of the global care chain theory and how it is easily generalized and does not put the country's history into perspective. This is a matter to consider because the structures of a gender society are influenced by male and female migrants leaving their home countries. As a result of the increase in women's participation in the labor force, migration now has become feminized. So this is what is closely linked to the overall topic that this podcast is answering and which hopefully we provided some more insight through our discussion. Domestic labour then has led to changes in family structures such as falling fertility rates, whilst extending life expectancy or the lack of stuff in public care. Very true. Yeah, well, hopefully that everybody enjoys this podcast and we have given you some understanding of what gender means and migration as well. Yeah, so, thank you. Thank, thank you, you guys. Until next time. Thank you.